the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to that show, Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. I am your host, Nick DiGilio. I'm a podcaster, a comedy writer, and performer, graduate of Second City, and I'm a Saturday Night Live expert and historian, and each week we will look at everything SNL. The best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons, full casts, behind-the-scenes stories, episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Hey, sometimes I'll have a guest, sometimes I won't, but with every episode, I will always prove that that tired cliche, and that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. This is episode three, and I'm calling it, wait, they were on SNL? Yeah. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about 20 very famous performers who were actually cast members on SNL at one time. Now, you, you probably remember a few of them. Uh, for the most part, though, their days on SNL are all but forgotten. Or when you remember them, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. They were on SNL. We're going to talk about the stuff that they did on the show. We'll hear some of it. We'll also talk about their time on the show and what happened and why they left. And these are very, very famous people. Uh, some people appeared on, you know, a full season. Some people, uh, you know, appeared on a few seasons. Some people, one person, actually just appeared on one episode and has the distinction of having the shortest tenure as an SNL cast member ever. And we'll get to that person last. But these are 20 very famous people who were actually cast members at one point on SNL. And you'll remember that and be shocked. All right, so let's get started. So we'll start with um, season 11, which is a really interesting season because that was the year... Um, that Lauren Michaels came back after a break. Uh, this was November 1985 to May of 1986. And when Lauren came back um, after uh, he left in 1980, uh, the, at the end of the 79-80 season, when all the original cast members left, uh, they were long gone by that point. Everybody was gone. All the original classic cast members gone. Lauren left, and Gene Domanian took over. Uh, and, and hired a whole new group of people, and it was a very strange transitional period. And then after Gene Domanian left, for one season, Dick Ebersol took over as producer. And then after Dick Ebersol left, Lauren came back, and he wanted to try something new. The show, the ratings were bad. The only thing that was popular during that stretch was Eddie Murphy. A lot of the people that they hired were for cast members, were they bombed. They didn't do very well. Just the stuff around Eddie Murphy and a few other things worked, but... Lauren Michaels wanted to come back and make some huge changes. So we hired a whole new group of uh, repertory players. Um, some of them came from the regular places like your Second Cities or your improv groups, um, you know, or that world of sketch comedy. But he wanted to kind of uh, make things new, and he hired movie stars, people that had no sketch comedy experience, people that have no improv experience, but were in movies or on TV shows or were already established movie stars and TV stars. Um, and it was, a, it was a bold experiment that really didn't work at all, um, bringing in people that were popular, bringing in younger people. 
Um, and uh, the first few people that we're going to bring up here were all from season 11. And again, the topic is, man, I can't believe they were on SNL. Randy Quaid is the first one. You might forget it, but Randy Quaid was actually on SNL for one season, the famous season 11. Um, uh, he was already in National Lampoon's Vacation. He was in, you know, The Last Detail. He had been a movie star for a very long time, and he came from a f- you know, famous acting family. And he was coming off of, like I said, National Lampoon's Vacation, and was no- it was a known good comedic actor. And in this attempt for Lauren Michaels to inject the show with some life by having movie stars in it, he brought in Randy Quaid. Um, it didn't work out very well. He often played really thick-headed but well-meaning characters. Um, he was a, a furniture salesman named Rudy. Uh, that was a recurring character. But like most of the things in this season, the experiment didn't work, and the people who came in from the movie world didn't really fit in um, as, you know, as, as, as repertory players. So Randy Quaid, if you forgot it, I don't blame you. He was only on for one season, but he was indeed, in addition to being a movie star, he was, in addition to have gone nuts uh, recently, he was a cast member. And uh, again, same season, season 11, 85 to 86, one of the young people that um, Lauren cast was Joan Cusack. And again, you might forget this, but she did one season of SNL. Um, she was known at that point for 16 Candles and a couple of other teen movies. She was in My Bodyguard. Obviously, the older sister of John Cusack, who at that time you know, in the fall of 85, had established himself. He had done the sure thing. He had done other movies and, you know, and things like that and better, you know, working on stuff like Better Off Dead and things like that. And he was starting to be 16, you know, he was also in 16 Candles as well. Um, And he was starting to be kind of a star. And at that time, in late 85, uh, Lauren wanted to tap into the John Hughes world. He wanted to get a younger group. He wanted to get hipper audience, uh, people that liked these teen movies that were very popular at the time. And Joan Cusack, very, very funny. She's a wonderful person and a great, great actress. Um, and she, again, struggled because the writing wasn't very good. And she tried to fit into this world of live television sketch comedy, which she had never done before. You know, she trained in Evanston as an actress. And, and she's fantastic. We all know that. She would obviously go on to be nominated for Academy Awards twice for supporting actress in Working Girl and then for in and out And she struggled on the show, and she also struggled because the writing was terrible, and she also had to work with a lot of knuckleheads. Uh, The clip I'm about to play is, again, from season 11, the 85 to 86 season. And again, as a reminder, and I'll remind during the course of the show here, uh, during the course of the episode, you can see these seasons on Peacock. Peacock has uh, virtually, not every episode, but, you know, the majority of all of the episodes of SNL, in edited forms or in full forms, can be found on Peacock. You can also find these clips you know, specific clips and sketches uh, at the NBC website and on YouTube. So the stuff that I've been talking about and will be talking about on the podcast, you can see full episodes on Peacock, available now, and they stream now. And you can also check them out on YouTube and you can check them out on NBC. So this is a clip I wanted to play. This is the typical of the kind of stuff that somebody as talented as Joan Cusack had to work with. The writing was terrible. And in this clip, the host was the awful Tony Danza. Uh, Tony Danza, who was a sitcom star, obviously, at that point because of Taxi, and, of course, because of uh, uh, who's the boss. Well, he was terrible uh, the night he hosted. And uh, Joan Cusack had to do a scene with him. And you can just listen to, to how sort of over the top and uh, how, how much Tony Danza is pushing it, like grabbing for laughs. And it's just very bad. And Joan Cusack, unfortunately, is stuck in this scene where they're in bed together. They played a married couple and they're in bed together asking whether they love each other or not. This is Joan Cusack. Yeah, she was on SNL. You don't love me for me. What if I was fat? Would you love me if I was 300 pounds? Your breasts would be bigger. <laughs> Good. 
I'm joking. I'm joking here. I'm joking. Would you, would you love me if I was six inches tall and you had to carry me around in a shoebox? I'd love you. I'd love you, okay? What if my arm was 40 feet long and you had to move it around in a truck? Okay. You talk so big? You talk big? Let me ask you something. Would you love me if I was going bald? I would love you if everything you touched went bald. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. Yeah, so that's typical of the kind of writing. Uh, you know, and, and actually, Lauren brought back some people, uh, hired a bunch of new writers, uh, and it struggled. And Lauren, you know, the show had changed in the years that Lauren was gone. Lauren was gone from 1980, 85. He was gone for five seasons. And by that point, what Domanian and then Ebersol did to the show, they changed it from what it used to be. They tried new things out that didn't work out. So this was a transitional season. Lauren brought in some new writers, uh, and it just didn't work. And these people who had never done sketch comedy before but were known movie stars uh, just didn't translate well. And it didn't help that, you know, somebody as bad as Tony Danza, you can hear him, like, going, <laughs> and, like, way over the top, pushing for laughs. And you could tell the audience was just like, when is this supposed to be funny? And then meanwhile, you've got an incredibly gifted comedic talent like Joan Cusack just struggling in scenes like that. And that would happen pretty consistently. She did do a recurring character um, where she would run, uh, she was a, uh, a knickknack store clerk, a very, very funny recurring character that came up every once in a while, but one of the very few highlights in a rough season. And again, on that season, in the same way, Anthony Michael Hall was hired for the same reasons that Joan Cusack was hired. He wanted to tap into the young, hip, 80s John Hughes market. So he offered a huge one-year contract to Anthony Michael Hall. And you might forget this, but in fact, Anthony Michael Hall was on for season 11. He was fresh off of his success and like Weird Science came out that summer in The Breakfast Club and 16 Candles. It was before he kind of lost his way and went a little bit nuts and uh, had some drinking and some substance abuse issues and things like that where he lost his way in the, uh, in the 90s. But he was at the top right at that time. Anthony Michael Hall was the shit. Like he was teen star John Hughes dude of the mid 80s. And, you know, he wanted to tap into the young market, Lauren did, so he hired Anthony Michael Hall. Again, it didn't work out. Um, he tried to, to, to change his, uh, his dorky persona. Uh, he did a cold open once where he was trash-talking uh, champ Marvin Hagler, while Dennis Miller, who was also a new uh, cast member at that time, interviewed him. Um, and he was teamed up with another guy who I'll get to in a second, Robert Downey Jr. Yes, those two guys were cast members. If you forgot, Robert Downey Jr. was a cast member, and I'll get to him in a minute. But they partied a lot. They were young. And in fact, uh, you'll hear in this clip um, from the uh, from uh, uh, Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen, where he asks about, because let me just say this. The very first episode in, um, in November of 1985, when season 11 premiered, they had Madonna as the host and the musical guest. And again, if you were around in 1985, November of 1985, Madonna was the biggest thing in the world. I mean, only like Prince and Bruce Springsteen and Michael Jackson were bigger than her, but she was the biggest female pop star in the world, especially in 1985. And to get her to host and be musical guest was a big coup, and everybody watched. It was a huge season premiere that everybody watched, and everybody afterwards said, wow, that wasn't good. But all the promos featured Anthony Michael Hall. Hi, we're the, he's the young new kid. And we've got Madonna. And it's going to be hip. And Lauren Michaels is back. And everybody was very excited. We got movie stars on here and young people. Madonna was the first host of that season. Um, and uh, Anthony Michael Hall talked about it with Andy Cohen on Watch What Happens Live. Uh, favorite memory of Madonna when she hosted SNL. Do you remember that? 
Yeah, I just thought she was hot, and I was very surprised how petite she was. Right. Yeah. But very focused and very sexy. And you were 17 when you were on SNL? 17, man, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you have a lot of confidence? Like, would you have hit on Madonna at the time? No, no. I think no. she was very, uh, no, she was very, she had a lot of presence, a lot of, a lot of right. you know, fire. Right. Yeah, so 17 years old. Can you imagine that? You're 17 years old. You just have been in three hit John Hughes movies. You are the talk of the summer, and you're 17, and uh, you're partying, and you're in New York, and you're on Saturday Night Live, and uh, because of that partying and because of all the crazy stuff, the season didn't turn out very well. His partner in crime, where they were in scenes together a lot, was Robert Downey Jr., and yes, Robert Downey Jr., in fact, was a cast member for that season on SNL. One of his biggest things was he did uh, a monologue as Suitcase Boy, where he came out in a suitcase with just his head sticking out and did a monologue about being a lonely piece of suitcase. He was teamed up a lot with uh, Anthony Michael Hall, and they were buddies. They had just done Weird Science together. They would do a bunch of other movies together, and they would also do lots of drinking and lots of drugs together. Uh, they actually missed a few shows. They missed a few episodes because... You know, uh, Robert Downey Jr., I believe, was 19, maybe 20 at the time. And Anthony Michael Hall was 17. They were in New York. They were movie stars. And they were out partying every single night. And they would show up, and they would show up to rehearsals and not do very well. Uh, They were just young, and they were fucking around. And they were in New York, and they were on Saturday Night Live, and they were partying. And you could tell. Uh, The show suffered, um, you know, in that transitional period. And Robert Downey Jr., I think this is actually – this is Robert Downey Jr. on a show called The Off-Camera Show – And this is actually one of my favorite um, clips where someone is talking about the experience of Saturday Night Live, especially from Robert Downey Jr.'s point of view when he was really, really young. This is actually a really great uh, statement and a great story about what it's like to be young and to be on SNL. And this is Robert Downey Jr. No, I learned so much in that year about what I wasn't. I was not somebody who was going to come up with the catchphrase. I was not somebody who was going to do impressions. I was somebody who was very ill-suited for rapid-fire sketch comedy. I was not of that ilk of the, of the groundlings or anything. I'd never been part of any improv group. So I was kind of like, wow, this seems like, this seems really hard and like a lot of work. But I would still say to this day that there's not a more exciting 90 minutes you can have, whether you are any good or not. It's just amazing. Was it exciting or terrifying? For me, being young and, uh, and kind of whatever, um, I was like, this is just a blast. Like, you're in a caveman outfit, and you're running to go from this set to that set and change into a spaceman outfit, and you, like, bump into David Bowie, who's, like, standing by a monitor because him and, and, and Lauren are buddies, and you just go like, oh, coolest Saturday night ever. <laughs> it's such a great story. Just a great way to describe what it was like to be young and on SNL for that one season. Again, Lauren trying to capture a younger audience, trying to get those people back who have given up on the show because of what Domanian and what Ebersol did to it while he was gone. Uh, didn't work out, but it was interesting. And one of the other people that was on in that season, he was only a featured player, was Damon Wayans. Yes, Damon Wayans was actually a cast member on Saturday Night Live. He only lasted, I believe, seven episodes. He lasted half the year. He got fired after he did something that uh, I have a clip of uh, talking about. After he did something on stage, he veered from what was uh, supposed to happen on stage. When you improvise, when you fuck around on stage, uh, the wrath of Lauren Michaels will come down on you. You will be banned like Adrian Brody did when he uh, 
uh, introduced Sean Paul uh, doing a weird Jamaican accent and wearing a, a Rasta, doing a Rasta thing and wearing a dreadlock wig. That was not in the script. That was not the way it was supposed to be. And Adrian, Adrian Brody will never be back to host again. And Damon Wayans uh, has an interesting story. Of course, he went on to do the very infamous sketch comedy uh, show In Living Color. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously became a great stand-up and a writer and his brothers, and he would change the face of African-American comedy and sketch comedy within Living Color. And he struggled when he was on that same season with Randy Quaid and Joan Cusack and Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. As a featured player, Damon Wayans did not have a good time. Listen, yeah. Is That's it true how I started. You, after seven shows? Yeah. Seven? Just yeah. seven? Yeah. You That's, was that bad? N- no, nah, I was that good. Mm. They, what happened was I had just, Eddie Murphy had <laughs> just left, and so Lauren Michaels was trying to, you know, he thought, protect me from being compared to Eddie Murphy. And I'm like, look, you give me the ball or let me go. Mm-hmm. Fire me from the team. So he wouldn't give me the ball, so I just switched characters during the live taping. I, I wanted to get fired. What do you mean switch characters? Well, I, I heard about that. You was playing a cop or something, right? Yeah, and I played a, a super, super flamboyant gay Yeah, you turned cop. the cop character gay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because this will happen. So, so I was supposed to be, we were doing a spoof on um, Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I was get first, first, first of all, going back, they had me in scenes with uh, where I would just hold a spear. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. My mother's going to watch this show. No, because, no lines, just holding a spear in, in a <laughs> thong. I'm like, I, I can't do this. Man. I said, y'all need to hire an extra for this. And so they told me, you're not a team player. I said, no, I'm just not a slave. So my <laughs> my my frustration and, the con- you know, we just kept getting into it, me and Lauren Michaels. So. You know, the final straw was this sketch called Mr. Monopoly where we was doing a spoof on Miami Vice. So we'd have dress rehearsal and then we'd have the air show. So between dress and air, Lauren comes to me and goes, you look like a pimp in that suit. I want you to change it to a cop's uniform. And I just like snap because the sketch wasn't funny. And now you want to put me in a cop suit. And I was feeling, you know, I was feeling really Dougie in my suit. Right. You know I mean, I had the Miami Vice joint. I'm like, OK, I can get through this. <clears throat> And so I was just like, you know what? I'm done. And I just flipped characters. It was. <laughs> so how did you turn the character? What game? was that reaction like? I in just, there? I was a cop in a suit when you just go, you know, I don't even know what I said. I was, yeah. I did it out of anger. So it wasn't really funny. It mm-hmm. was just like, this was not in mind. Right. So did people laugh? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> so there's a, that's from The Breakfast Club. That's Damon Wayans, a, a guest on a, on a show called The Breakfast Club. And uh, talking about how he got fired. It was not very good. But again, you know, um, obviously went on to great stand-up and also the groundbreaking show in Living Color. But it just didn't work out for him. So it was an interesting season, season 11. And going back one more season, when we get to the next group of folks here, season 10, uh, which was October 84 to April 85, and that's when Dick Ebersol took over. See, Gene Demanian took over when the original cast and Lauren left, and Gene Demanian hired a whole group of new people. We'll get to a couple of those folks a little bit later on uh, in, the, in the episode here. But the, Gene, Gene Demanian's era was known as the Eddie Murphy era. When everything else really didn't work, Eddie Murphy did. Joe Piscopo had some moments. There were a couple of other cast members. But that time period where Gene Demanian took over, um, Lauren left. The show, the, the ratings bombed until Eddie Murphy surfaced as the big star. And then when Domanian uh, left and Dick Ebersol took over, he's like, I need some people here that are going to be ringers. I need some ringers. So he brought back Harry Shearer. Maybe you forgot, but yes, Harry Shearer was on. He was on season five, and then he came back for season 10. Uh, and he brought in Billy Crystal, Christopher Gast, and Martin Short. And these were ringers. They were offered one-year contracts. And you might have forgotten, again, that's part of the 20 that I'm talking about here. Harry Shearer, and of course, and big time here, 
Billy Crystal, Christopher Guest, and Martin Short. They were hired for that one season, season 10. They were given one-year contracts. And, of course, these guys have had you know, experience like crazy. Um, Harry Shearer was a child actor who appeared on a whole bunch of young uh, you know, TV shows. He was on Leave it to Beaver and a whole bunch of other stuff. So he had been in the business forever. In season five, um, he was brought in to fill in those gaps that were left by the original cast members who was leaving because in season in season five, at that point, Dan Aykroyd was gone, uh, John Belushi was gone, a lot of people weren't doing as much work, and everybody was becoming movie stars at that point, so they brought Harry Shearer in as a writer and an on-screen performer, and then he was brought back in season 10, didn't like the, uh, the whole schedule, like the insane working schedule, the production schedule, he didn't like it, he preferred to do the pre-filmed stuff. So that's where Harry Shearer really shined, was in the, you know, the, 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 the stuff that was already pre-filmed. Along with him, Billy Crystal, who was obviously an established star at that point. He had made movies. He was a huge TV star uh, in Soap and an obviously a big comedy star. Christopher Guest, uh, who along with Harry Shearer, um, uh, was also a part of Spinal Tap. And Spinal Tap had come out about seven months before that, and they hired Christopher Guest. This was before he started making all the other documentaries on his own. Uh, but he and Harry Shearer were, you know, guys who were in uh, Spinal Tap, and uh, and that's why Eppersall hired them. And Billy Crystal, established star, and Martin Short, who came from the world of SETV, who studied, who was at Second City in Toronto, and was an established star. So these guys who came in and they did great. They, if people will remember it, this was eighty four to eighty five. Billy Crystal had a lot of memorable stuff on the show. Um, you know, he did Fernando. You look marvelous, and he did a whole bunch of. Uh, uh, he did a whole bunch of other characters. Uh, you know, he did impressions. He did Sammy Davis Jr. on the show. Um, Martin Short came in. He brought some characters from SETV with him. He was a regular on the show. Uh, he did very well. Uh, you know, uh, Nathan uh, Thurm, who was the very nervous, high-strung lawyer, he brought that with him. Uh, they did stuff that, like Harry Shearer and Christopher Guest and Martin Short were also a part of the synchronized swimming uh, short film, which is a classic SNL short film. And they came in and they had the one-year contract and they brought it and they were terrific and they did bring people back. But obviously, stars of the caliber of Billy Crystal and Christopher Guest and Martin Short are not going to stay on the show long. Christopher Guest, in fact, was also the anchor on Weekend Update. So you might forget that. Not only was he you know, on the show and he did memorable characters and they did a lot of pre-recorded filmed stuff that was very memorable and very much like the kind of stuff that Christopher Guest would go on to do with his movies, his improv movies, you know, like Best in Show um, and Waiting for Guffman and things like that. But he also was the anchor on SNL or on, on Weekend Update. So uh, I got a couple of clips here to play. Uh, one of the recurring characters, or, sorry, two of the cr- recurring characters that Billy Crystal and Christopher Guest did on the show were these guys who were like uh, uh, night watchmen, and they would talk about how they would hurt themselves. And, and their catchphrase was, I hate when that happens. And it became a very, very popular uh, recurring uh, pair of characters. And here's a little clip of that. It's like the other night. I'm in the attic and I got a bunch of mouse traps, you know? Right. And for bed, I used a big piece of... Uh... Camembert. Right. So, so I set the trap, right? And I wanted to see if the trap was going to work, right? So I got the camembert in there, right. but every time I went to taste the cheese, the thing came down right on my tongue. <laughs> I tell you, after 40, 50 times, I couldn't even feel the cheese, much less taste it. I hate when that happens, I'll tell you that. Boy, you know what I hate? I hate. I got gross of them, uh... Razor blades? No. Fish hooks? 
No. Huh. Thumbtacks, ah, right? Yeah. So I bring them home, you know, and I sprinkle them all out over the floor, you know? Points up? Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> then I strip down to the nude and I just roll back and forth across the room, you know? Sticking in all over my body. Then I jump in a hot tub and just soak. Mm. I hate that. Sounds Boy, very painful. Yeah, and that was a very popular sketch, and they killed that year. They really did some funny stuff. And again, you know, these were established stars. Martin Short comes in, brings in some of uh, the greatest characters ever from SETV. And this is a guy who arguably, a lot of people think, SETV may be a better sketch show historically than SNL, at least a little bit more consistent. Uh, You know, one of the most brilliant comedy shows of all time is SETV, and he brought in a couple of characters uh, from SETV to his stint for that year on uh, on SNL, and one of his characters was one of the best ever, and that, of course, is Ed Grimley. Oh, this is too much. Wheel of Fortune. Give me a break. I couldn't be more excited, I must say. This anticipation, it's making me mental. But if they say yes, you can be on the show, I think I would go so crazy. It would be just the best. Mr. Sajak, I would like to buy a vowel, please. And a free spoon would be bad, I must say. Oh, and to get to meet Pat Sajak, like I suppose you could do better than that. No way. Because it seems to me that he would be a pretty decent guy, I must say. What if we became best friends? Best friends in the world. So I would just like phone his house up and say, is Pat there? Just tell him it's me. Oh, uh, yeah, that really makes sense now that I think of it. Like, I suppose Pat Sajak doesn't have, like, over a million friends, probably. But then again, maybe he doesn't. It's difficult to say. Oh, this is absurd. <laughs> this is completely insane. I can't stand I'm just getting too keyed up, and I can't help it, because I can't wait till I hear. So that's, uh, you know, of course, one of the greatest characters ever, Ed Grimley with the hair and the pants and all that stuff. Ed Grimley had his own Saturday morning show, which was fantastic, by the way. The old Ed Grimley animated show on Saturday mornings was great. Right up there with Pee Wee Herman's show on Saturday mornings. But it was an interesting two transitional seasons. Lauren coming back for 85 and 86, bringing in Randy Quaid and and Joan Cusack and Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr. and Damon Wayans in a featured role. And then the season before that, season 10, when Dick Ebersol brought in the big guns like Harry Shearer, Billy Crystal, Christopher Guest, and Martin Short. And those two seasons were interesting. And after season 11... When Randy Quaid and John Cusack and the big movie stars and Robert Downey Jr. or Joan Cusack and, and Robert Downey Jr. they all left uh, in the fall of '87. That's when it became back to the old days. What Lauren wanted in from '75 to '79, um, and it it became under Lauren's regime. And since that moment, it took, and since that 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 season in '87, that's when the Lauren Michaels, you know, era. Uh, began in full force where everything got back to where he wanted it to be. And slowly it took a few seasons and a few years to get it running. But by like the late eighties and into the early nineties, it was back to being the consistent Lauren Michaels SNL machine. But for a little while there in the mid late eighties, it was shaky a little bit, but it, uh, you know, it was an interesting experimental time to have these big stars come in. Uh, And then, uh, you know, some other people who would go on to big things, you know, Uh, like for instance, David Koechner, he was an actual uh, member of uh, the cast of SNL. He was only on, again, one season. This was season 21 he was on, the 95 to 96 season. He was only on one season. Here's a guy who would go on to, of course, Anchorman is probably what he's best known for as Champ, the sports guy on Anchorman. Um, he was in Snakes on a Plane. He's been in a bunch of movies. He was in The Office. He's done a lot of TV. He's a great stand-up comedian. He is a very popular, very prolific comedic actor, and his one season on SNL was a fun one, I thought. I thought he did some pretty interesting characters. One of them was uh, Gerald T-Bone Tibbins, who was a really goofy, dorky guy who sometimes was an executioner. He was sometimes a hospital orderly, but he was always inappropriately uh, happy. 
Uh, and in this scene uh, where he plays T-Bone, uh, Tim Meadows, the great Tim Meadows, is in this scene with him. He plays an executioner. And by the way, the person who was in the electric chair about to be executed, who you won't hear in this clip, was uh, Christopher Walken. So David Koechner, who would go on to, you know, huge success, especially in Anchorman, those movies and things like that, uh, was T-Bone. I actually like this character. This is from the one season he was on, season 21. Executioner. T-Bone. Whatever. Would you please refrain from talking to the prisoner? Hey, listen here. I'm just trying to lighten the mood up, all right? This year, fella's about to be fried eggs over easy with his... Good gosh, your money eyes just popping straight on out there, right? So I thought he might appreciate a little what? Levity. That's what. Maybe I'll just go back to my station. Boop, boop. So that's, that's a character that nobody remembers but me. <laughs> Some people don't even remember that, you know, champ from Anchorman spent an entire season as a, as a player on SNL, but he was there. Uh, and, yeah, so that was one of the – and he left and went on to, to greater things, but he only was there for a season. Another person that was uh, only on for a season, it was just a partial season, Ben Stiller was an actual official cast member on SNL before he would host a few times and be associated with it and, you know, do some, uh, uh, some shorts for it and film shorts and come back and, during political times and play different political characters. But he actually was an SNL, not ready for primetime player, uh, cast member on the show uh, on season 14, the 1988-89 season. He didn't appear, the, he only was on, I think, four episodes. Yes, he was only on four episodes. There were creative differences, he said. He didn't work the, the way that he wanted to work. He wasn't doing the kind of comedy that he wanted to do. Anything that he brought to the writers was shot down, and he was not happy while he was there. There were a couple of memorable things that he did. You know, he'd played a few recurring characters in a couple of things. Um, I think the most memorable thing he did was he and Mike Myers did like an in-character bit where they reviewed the movie Rain Man. And that's probably the most memorable thing he did. But, you know, Ben Stiller obviously would go on to huge movie success as an actor and a writer and a director and a creator and obviously Zoolander and Tropic Thunder and The Cable Guy uh, and so many other uh, uh, great things. Uh, and, uh, and he also created The Ben Stiller Show, which was, I think, arguably one of the best sketch shows of all time. Uh, only lasted, I think, a season and a half but, like, he had some major people that he discovered, writers and actors and actresses, who he put on that show. And the Ben Stiller show was one of the more creative, you know, early 90s sketch comedy shows that challenged other things is, you know, that were happening at the time. Very creative show and very good show. That's when he started directing things. He got behind the camera and started directing episodes of that show and sketches from that show. And that's when he went on to do movies. But his time at SNL was not a memorable one. But he was there. He was there for, you know, a, a few episodes during one season. Now, an interesting one that you might forget uh, that I think a lot of people would like to forget is that transitional season, season six. This was after all the original you know, beloved cast members from the first seasons of SNL left, Lauren Michaels left, and Gene Demanian took over and hired a whole new group of people. Um, and some of them were funny, some of them weren't, but it was disastrous. They had a whole new writing crew. Unfortunately, Gilbert Gottfried was part of that cast. Season 6, 1980 to 81, the entire brand new, brand spanking new cast, brand spanking new writers, brand spanking new producer, um, and that was at the time when everybody was like, it's called Saturday Night Dead. And there was about two year, two year time there before Eddie Murphy really stepped up and took over the show where it was dreadful, where the cast was bad, where the players didn't want to be there. The writing was awful. And unfortunately, one of the victims of this transitional period is the great, the late great Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert Gottfried obviously would go on to huge success as a stand-up comedian, as a professional roaster and as a movie star and a TV star. And my dad's favorite comedian of all time, by the way. 
Um, and I love Gilbert, but he didn't really have anything to work with. The writing was terrible. And this is an example of the kind of crap that Gilbert Gottfried did. And he did not have at all, ever, um, as a cast member on SNL for the one season he was on, he never had the Gilbert Gottfried persona. He never did that kind of over-the-top voice. He didn't do the bad jokes. That Gilbert Gottfried persona that we love and find so ridiculous was nowhere to be found. Here is an example of the kind of shit that Gilbert Gottfried had to do on the one season. In this, he plays like a representative of the Tobacco Growers Union saying that cigarettes aren't bad. It's the lungs' fault. This is terribly written, but listen, listen, you can hear a little bit of Gilbert in there. The, the Gilbert that we knew and love who just passed away. It's in there somewhere underneath a pile of crap. So this is Gilbert Gottfried on SNL. Clearly, it is not the poor cigarette that causes lung cancer. It's the lung. Let's take a look at this lemon. No wonder people die. It's got a cockamamie shape. It's way too little. It's filled with mucus. It's flimsy. It's clammy. And for the life of me, I don't know how anything gets in and out of that pathetic little hole. <laughs> really? If they work so well, why do you need two? It's clear where the fault lies. The lung has one job to get rid of a little smoke. And does it do it? No. So, and, and if you watch that sketch, and again, a lot of these sketches are available on YouTube and episodes available on Peacock. I will always re-remind you of that. Uh, you should go out and check out some of this stuff. But if you watch that sketch, in the background, the lights are going on. There's a spotlight coming on and going off. The technical shit that was happening. It's just like the ineptitude that was on display in that season under the, you know, under the production of, of, of Gene Demanian was awful, awful. And even when Eddie Murphy came in, the writing was pretty bad, except for the stuff that Eddie Murphy brought in. And this was, you know, before Eddie Murphy took off. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried would do a thing called the Urban Matador on that show. He had some regular sketches that he would do. It was a dark, dark time, and the material was terrible. And yes, <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried, I'm sure, wanted to forget it, but he was a, a cast member on SNL. Another person who spent a, a, a season on SNL was Rob Riggle. Rob Riggle, who I just think is hilarious, who you've seen in a, a lot of TV shows. He's a great stand-up comedian, um, a, a consummate comedian, a comedic performer. You could see him in stuff like 21 Jump Street. He was on The Daily Show, fantastic on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. He was in The Hangover and Step Brothers. He spent a season on SNL. The most interesting thing about him really, is that he, t he spent 23 years in the Marines, Rob Riggle. And in fact, he was in the, he was a res he was in the reserves while he was on SNL. He was, he was, he was in the, 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 the Marine reserves while on SNL. He retired from uh, duty in 2013. Um, he did Howard Dean. You remember Howard Dean, the presidential candidate that went, yeah, and everybody made fun of him for a while. He played Howard Dean. He was very funny at that. Riggle was terrific. And it was, again, during a weird time because when he got in there, he was on season 30, 2004 to 2005. That was right after Jimmy Fallon left, Tracy Morgan left. They were in kind of a transition. It was right before Tina Fey left. Uh, Tina Fey was still head writer. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were doing Weekend Update at that time. And Riggle was memorable on the show. He always made me laugh. He was always a guy, even if he was just a supporting character in scenes, he was always funny. And I thought he, he had a great run on SNL, and I wanted him to stay, but he left and never became more than just a featured uh, character. Uh, one of the bits that he did was this thing where he played like a Helen Brimstone preacher named Leviticus. Uh, and this is him with Amy Poehler and Tina Fey on update doing Leviticus. Thank you. But before I leave, I'd like to say one more thing. Lord, hear me now. 
help these two filthy streetwalkers <laughs> with their lustful addictions for sex and their insatiable thirst for alcohol, which we all know comes from the flaming teat of Satan. All right, get out of here, Leviticus. Persecutors, persecutors. Yeah. All right, Leviticus, everyone. Right. So that's Riggle, uh, and I thought he was great on this show. And, you know, I mean, he left after a while. He, you know, he was only a featured player. And then he, the next gig that he did was he was a correspondent on The Daily Show, and he took off from there and then started doing movies and other stuff. But he did have, I think, a pretty strong season as a featured player on SNL, the great Rob Riggle. Uh, next, Jenny Slate. Jenny Slate, who you can see now in the most overrated movie of the year, Everybody, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, she's also the voice of Marcel the Shell, a terrific actress who you can see in movies like Obvious Child, and she's been in a ton of other really cool stuff. She does great voiceover work on Bob's Burgers and Zootopia. She was in Secret Life of Pets. And like I said, Marcel the Shell. Well, Jenny Slate infamously spent one season on SNL, and I say infamously. She was on uh, season 35, 2009 to 2010, which was a great season, by the way. A really strong season with a lot of great cast members uh, really hitting their stride, like your Sudeikis's and your haters and your Kristen Wiggs. I mean, a really strong bunch of years in a row there. And she was a part of that, and she was terrific on the show. She had recurring characters. She did Lady Gaga was one of her impressions. She did the doorbell. Uh, she was the girl from Queens, New York, who was selling doorbells. She did that. Everything she did on the show was terrific, but it was completely overshadowed by the fact that on her first show, in her first sketch, she did this. You freaking just threw an ashtray full of butts at my head. You know what? You stood up for yourself, and I fucking love you for that. You're in my heart. Yeah, that's right. She said fuck. Her very first scene, her very first sketch, her very first show. Here's a quote from Jenny Slate. I still never am able to watch the clip where I fucked up. It's like watching yourself fall down the aisle at your wedding. I feel like it happened to somebody else. And I want to tell that person, girl, I'm so sorry, but you need to move on. Because if you ever fall on your face at work, you want to remember that it's just one moment in time. And that one moment is in a long life and it's important to get up and go again. So she recovered from that. Uh, but she was not asked to come back. And a lot of people are like, oh, she was fired because she dropped the F-bomb. No, that was her first show, and she did a whole season and did memorable stuff. It's just that they, were, they did not ask her to come back. But again, like a lot of these people, went on to great success and to do other things. Some people forget she was on there, but SNL fans know that she is the one person who— because Charles Rocket said fuck on the air as well. We'll get to that some other episode. But this was the first sketch, her first season, her first show. <laughs> and she was not rehired. But that's okay, because she went on to other great things. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, some people forget she was a cast member. Maybe people remember, but I think a lot of people forget that she was on for three full seasons. It wasn't like one season only, and then she became Elaine and you know won all these Emmys and did Veep and did you know the new adventures of old Christine and all that stuff. She spent three seasons, three long seasons, where uh, for the first couple of seasons that she was, first season and a half she was on, all she did was basically open a door for Eddie Murphy because that's what everybody did. But she was on seasons 8 through 10, 82 to 85. She was only 21 she, when she got hired. Um, she had recurring characters. She was, you know, didn't do much on the show because when she was there, it was the Eddie Murphy period of time where everybody was in the shadow of Eddie Murphy, so she didn't do much. And then when Eddie Murphy left, it was that weird transitional time when they brought in, um, you know, Harry Shearer and Billy Crystal and, and Christopher Guest and stuff like that. And all of the good stuff went to them. So... 
uh, you know, she got kind of uh, she got kind of you know ignored while she was there. But some good stuff came out of it. And this is uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus uh, talking with Andy Cohen uh, on uh, on his show. Uh, about her SNL experience. It's kind of informed my life uh, from then, even though it wasn't... In what way? Well, I mean, I set my priorities straight, for starters. I mean, I I came out of that thinking, this wasn't as fun as I've had doing, like, improv Mm -hmm. shows and Second City and all that kind of stuff back in Chicago. And, And... and I need to find that. I need to find that. And if I can't find that, if it doesn't exist, I'm not going to do this. So did it inform things that you've said no to in, in the or, or yes to? Yeah. Because you knew you could tell what the vibe totally, was. Totally. And also, I, I met Larry David. He was there one year and he was there my third year, his one and only year. And we bonded because he was super miserable and I was super miserable. <laughs> and you know how misery loves company. Yes. <laughs> So there you go. And that's where they met. She met Larry David. And at that point, he's like, I'm going to write a lane for you. Boom. So she spent three seasons on SNL. A lot of people forget how long she was on that show. They didn't use her the way she wanted to be used or should have been used. She was only 21. And she got a lane because she met Larry David on there. Uh, A couple of women who appeared on SNL that you might have forgotten were Sarah Silverman and Janine Garofalo. Sarah Silverman was on season 19, 93 to 94, and uh, Janine Garofalo was on the following season, season 20, 94 to 95. And they both have very similar experiences. Obviously, Sarah Silverman would go on to be one of the most successful female comedians of all time, uh, great in movies, a terrific actress, but she was completely underutilized the season she was on. Janine Garofalo, who, when she got hired, had already been on the Ben Stiller show, uh, and of course would go on, and she was already an established comedian at that point. She was on, on season uh, 20, 94 to 95. But both of these women, Sarah Silverman and Janine Garofalo, happened to be hired at the time when it was all about guys grabbing their dicks, doing fart jokes. It was the boys club. It was the David Spade, uh, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler period of comedy where the jokes were very base. It was It was at a time when... Uh, 80% of the stuff that was being shown on SNL during that time period was very guy. It was boy-related. It was boy humor. It was, oh, hey, look, let's grab our balls and make wacky jokes. It was the Adam Sandler boys club male-dominated, the girls aren't funny, let's fart few years of SNL. And Sarah Silverman, an incredibly great uh, a female comedian and Janine Garofalo, uh, a, a very opinionated female comedian. They were lost among let's grab our balls and tell dick jokes and fart. That was essentially like a solid two and a half years of that stuff was going on when Sandler and Farley and those guys, and not to say that they weren't funny because they were funny, uh, but they, they were completely anything Silver, Silverman wanted to do or anything Garofalo wanted to do. It all took a backseat to the boys club that was huge at that time. So they had miserable experiences. Sarah Silverman, uh, and Janine Garofalo, and there are uh, lots of interviews where they say they had a miserable time uh, during their period there, and they were each only on for one season. In the case of Sarah Silverman, or in the case of Janine Garofalo, not even a full season because she's like, I can't do this anymore. I can't deal with these dudes and the dick jokes and the stupid shit that I can't deal with. So she left. So uh, a couple of major f- female comedy voices wasted on their seasons of Saturday Night Live. Michael McKeon, who was also in... Um, Spinal Tap. He spent two seasons on SNL, season 19 and 20, 93 to 95. Again, right during that let's grab all balls and fart Chris Farley, uh, Adam Sandler period. Uh, he was a, a regular on the show for a while, and he had obviously already been established as a legend in Laverne and Shirley, and he had done the Christopher Guest stuff, and, and this is Spinal Tap. 
And, uh, and he did a terrific job on SNL. Again, not used as much as some of the other guys, but he was like an elder statesman. You got the young guys doing their fart jokes, and then Michael McKeon would come in and go, here's how we do sort of character-driven, uh, improv-based comedy. He did a fantastic uh, um, version of Robert Evans, the producer of Chinatown and, the, and uh, the Godfather and the star of The Kid Stays in the Picture. He did this thing called The Casting Couch as Robert uh, as Robert Evans, that was terrific. And Michael McKeon, again, people forget, you know, that Lenny and, uh, you know, from Lenny and Squiggy, he was on that. And of course, he would go on to even better and bigger things these years, Better Call Saul and other things. But yeah, Michael McKeon spent an actual two solid seasons on the show. And then Chris Rock. I had to mention Chris Rock. Chris Rock, some people forget that Chris Rock was on the show. Uh, I think some people forget that he was on for three seasons, 16 to 18 season 16 to 18, 90 to 93, at a time when a lot of racial things were happening in the country, um, and, uh, and a lot of that was filtered through Chris Rock on the show. And at this point, Chris Rock was not the established great stand-up, the great comic voice. Uh, this was pre-Bring the Pain. And I always look at Chris Rock's uh, you know, um, career as pre-Bring the Pain Chris Rock and post-Bring the Pain Chris Rock, because pre-Bring the, Bring the Pain Chris Rock is funny, but uh, kind of throwaway and goofy and not that great. But post Bring the Pain, Bring the Pain is one of the greatest examples of stand-up comedy of all time. One of the most important and one of the greatest statements ever made by a stand-up comedian. One of the best stand-up comedy specials ever. One of the greatest documents of stand-up comedy ever is Chris Rock's Bring the Pain from 1996. And he's only gotten better since then. But before that, everything was a little shaky. When he was on SNL, you know, he had some recurring characters. He had Nat X, which was a really funny character. He was on during a period of time when a lot of racial tension was happening in the world, you know, because of uh, Rodney King and even other things like that. He had starred in Beverly Hills Cop 2. While he was there, he starred in Boomerang. He had a small part in that. He was in New Jack City. Before he got SNL, he was in I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. How much for order of ribs? He was in that, and he'd done some stand-up. He was still young. He was still trying to find his voice, and it wasn't great stuff. But he was part of some memorable, you know, things on SNL. He was on the episode in 91, the season premiere in the fall of 1991, that was hosted by Michael Jordan, that featured Jesse Jackson doing Green Eggs and Ham, and Public Enemy was the, um, was the musical guest. And it was, like, one of the most important, uh, you know, African-American-themed episodes in the history of SNL, and, and, and Chris Rock was right in the middle of that. One of the other things that Chris Rock did... Uh, on the show was that uh, he did an impression of Nipsey Russell on Weekend Update. And it wasn't so much an impression. It was just, you know, Chris Rock rhyming things. And I loved it every time he did Nipsey Russell because I love Nipsey Russell. Nipsey Russell is one of my favorite, you know, uh, uh, celebrities of the 70s, you know, uh, a standby on game shows like Match Game. And so I loved Nipsey Russell, loved, loved, loved. And Nipsey Russell's thing was he was the poet laureate. He would do a bunch of rhymes and stuff like that. So one of the recurring characters that uh, Chris Rock had was Nipsey Russell. And here's one of his appearances, and you can tell when this happened, and you can tell, you know, what the era was when Chris Rock was on SNL by just this clip alone. Uh, this is from Update. Kevin Nealon introduces <laughs> And now here with a commentary on the Rodney King verdict, Weekend Update's very own poet laureate, comedian Nipsey Russell. Nipsey? <laughs> Thank you, Kevin Nealon, for being so damn appealing. There once was a man named Rodney King who was asked to stop his car. But once he got out of his automobile, things sure got bizarre. (laughs) Get on the floor. Stay still, the officer kindly said. Rodney said, sure, no problem, Jack, as they smacked him upside his head. (laughs) 
The policeman almost got away from this. They almost walked away scot-free. But luckily there, there was a white man with a camera in a tree. <laughs> so Rodney went to trial and became an instant star. Not by rapping, singing, or dancing, by being a black man in a car. <laughs> so this morning, we got the final verdict. Too guilty, too free. But what I guess this really means, I have to pay for my new TV. <laughs> Thank you, Nips. There you go. So that's, uh, that's Chris Rock as Nipsey Russell. Not really doing a good Nipsey Russell impression. That's just Chris Rock mining, you know, do, uh, you know uh, doing the jokes, doing the rhymes, uh, dressed in a 70s outfit. Uh, but I thought it was very funny. And again, that was at the time he was on that show was when those things were happening in the real world. Um, uh, he had spent uh, three seasons on the show and then was very dissatisfied and was it was... The rumor was that he wanted to go to In, in Living Color, because In Living Color at that time was trouncing the world, uh, and any kind of African-American comedic voice was happening, and the important stuff and the voices and the statements about African-American culture and comedy were being made on In Living Color. And so Chris Rock wanted to go over to that, and he was going to leave, but uh, Lauren Michaels got wind of it, that he was going to leave and go to In Living Color, so Lauren Michaels uh, beat him to it and, and uh, did not renew his contract and, t- and fired him. <laughs> and then he ended up on six episodes only of In Living Color. So, yes, Chris Rock did end up on In Living Color just for six episodes. And then, of course, went on. And once Bring the Pain came out, like I said, when Bring the Pain came out, that was when Chris Rock was established as one of the most important comedic voices of all time. And he's gone on to great things like being slapped in the face by asshole Will Smith at the Oscars. But anyway, yes, he did spend some time there. And then the last one I want to mention here is who spent one episode of Saturday Night Live. This person has... The distinction of having the shortest tenure as an SNL cast member ever. One episode. Laurie Metcalf. Yes, Chicago's own, Steppenwolf's own Laurie Metcalf. A tremendous actress who, of course, would go on to incredible success on television in Roseanne and now The Connors. Does does movies. Obviously, we all know her from Steppenwolf. An incredible actress. Incredibly uh, successful and great. And also, you should check out Internal Affairs with Richard Gere and Andy Garcia. If you've never seen it, she's amazing in that. But she appeared on April 11th, 1981. That's it. She did two things, two sketches. She was in one episode. And she is, historically, has the shortest tenure of any SNL cast member of all time. April 11th, 1981. She was in a sketch, a filmed sketch called uh, Lori Tells a Story, or Lori Has a Story, and it co-starred uh, uh, Catherine O'Hara. And in it, she's at a dinner party where Catherine O'Hara, who's throwing the party, encourages, encourages her to tell a story, but the story keeps getting interrupted and more and more and more. Here's a quick clip from that. Again, it only appeared once on April 11th, 1981, and here is the filmed sketch that she appeared on called Lori Has a Story. Lori has a story. Um, Charlotte says it's the funniest thing she's ever heard. Please. Well, a group of us were going to celebrate the birthday of a friend of ours, Randy Bailey. And I was going to meet Randy and his wife, Becky, at the Pink Adobe, this restaurant in Santa Fe. And then the three of us were going to drive to the Bailey family ranch in this Winnebago. Winnebago. uh, But I was, like, getting to the restaurant. So when I saw them, Randy stood up, nearly knocked the table over. So it was clear that the birthday boy had gotten into the Pink Adobe margaritas. (laughs) Winnebago margaritas? And Pink Adobe margaritas are not ordinary margaritas. They are deep dish margaritas. (laughs) Randy's not a drinker. Wait a minute. I was in the pink adobe once and do you know who is at the table next to ours andy warhol 
When was this? 1979. Oh, God, this was before he died. Right. So, and it's a very funny sketch. It was, you know, obviously pre-filmed. It was a filmed sketch. Um, and, uh, and she appeared on that, and she did a Man on the Street thing as well. Um, and here is, this is Seth Meyers, who obviously appeared on SNL, you know, did character stuff, was head writer for a while, and, uh, and, uh, and update uh, anchor. Uh, Seth Meyers had her on one time to talk to her, and, and the SNL stuff came up. did not realize this, but I'd see, I've seen your name in the past listed as a former cast member of Saturday Night Live. It turns out you did two things in 1981. <laughs> uh, that's, it's very hard to even tell that to you. You did a, a Man on the Street bit in yes. 1981. Yeah. And, uh, and then you did a piece with Catherine O'Hara, a short film, um, uh, which called Lori Has a Story, which I watched today, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Do you have any memory of it? I, that's funny that you sh- should say that. It is like a dream. I see that there's proof. There's proof that yeah. I did do these things. But in 81, you know, I, it, I, Tim Kazarinsky. Yes, from Chicago as well. Brought me yep. on and, uh, or suggested that I come on and, and uh, have a tryout. And, and so um, they put me in that oversized uh, suit and, and, <laughs> and with a s- small little crew and threw me out onto the street to say, would you take a bullet for the president? Uh-huh. And uh, pretty soon that there, there was a little crowd around us. You know, I didn't know what I was. I'd never been to New York. <laughs> I didn't know where I was, what I was doing. That is such and, a terror. So, that is the worst the casting. The actor's nightmare. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's worse than you as a 13-year-old niece. It's like, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, uh, but it was so exciting. I, well, I want, I'll make sure you can see it because you got to go back and watch this. It was really, uh, really fun to watch. And Doug so, so, so that's uh, her telling the story. She had never been to New York before. She has Laurie Metcalf, the wonderful <laughs> Chicago's own, a gift from God. Laurie Metcalf, one of the greatest actresses of all time, who would go on to huge success, you know, on television and in movies, and Oscar nominated for Lady Bird. She's amazing. She was in uh, one episode, two bits, April 11th, 1981, the shortest tenure as an SNL cast member ever, the wonderful Laurie Metcalf. So that's it. Those are 20 cast members of SNL. You kind of forgot, wait a minute, who went on to big fame and big you know, uh, you know, know, notoriety, and they were on SNL. Really quickly, Randy Quaid, Joan Cusack, Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr., Damon Wayans, Harry Shearer, Billy Crystal, Christopher Guest, Martin Short, David Koechner, Ben Stiller, Gilbert Gottfried, Rob Riggle, Jenny Slate, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Sarah Silverman, Janine Garofalo, Michael McKeon, Chris Rock, and Laurie Metcalf. Check them all out. All the clips are out there. Scour for them. Some really interesting stuff in some very transitional times. But yes, those huge performers were once official cast members on SNL. Another thing that you're going to find out as you listen to this podcast uh, right here. Uh, So thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Hey, we want your feedback. Uh, Voicemail me anytime you want. 773-417-6948. Send me an email, too. And uh, it's nickdpodcast at gmail.com. That email address gets to me at this podcast and at my other podcast, the Nick D Podcast, both available at Radio Misfits. My thanks to Ed at Radio Misfits and Jason Skaggs for doing the fantastic opening theme and this closing theme. My thanks to you. And to everybody, please take the time to rate and review us on every platform. Check out RadioMisfits.com for every kind of uh, podcast that you can think of. And we'll see you next time on That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. Every Wednesday, brand new episode, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs>